Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson vill jag så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Karlsson, Karlsson! Yes, welcome everybody to the episode of Keep Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by a guy who thinks there's only like one clear frontrunner for the Calder this year, but I'm very excited to learn about the 25 other players that I'm clearly overlooking. Uh, I'm your host, Dylan Dubrovsky, and with me for this special annual tradition episode, we already did our annual tradition with Dom, we recorded that yesterday, maybe we'll give this episode a few days to breathe, so maybe you heard that a few days ago, but another tradition in September is we have to bring on our very very good friend from the Fantasy Hockey Life podcast and longtime patron and friend of Keeping Carlson, Victor Nuno is here to talk about Calder candidates for this season because he is the prospect expert. Every single time someone asks a question on our Discord about if someone should have Edvinson or... I don't know, Brant Clark in their dynasty league who they rank higher. I always just tag Victor, go, well, I'll give you my opinion, but here's the opinion you probably should care more about. It's Victor Nuno. I think I already said your name. Welcome back to Keeping Carlson, Victor. Thanks, Elon. So awesome to be back. I just become one of my favorite traditions of the year for sure. Super excited to talk rookies. That's one of my favorite things to do, as you know. And uh, I, I must say, your your takes on that uh, the dynasty and prospects have been uh, pretty spot on. So well done there. Hey, well, I mean, I listen to the uh, Fantasy Hockey Life podcast, so that obviously helps. Uh, but yeah, soon I'm going to have to test that challenge. So I, I got into all this stuff when you invited me to join your Dynasty League a couple years ago. Uh, and as I think I may have mentioned once or twice, I won year one. Unfortunately, last year I lost in the finals. Uh, the team that won, Shane and Adam, just totally... When I, I still think Victor, you should have <laughs> vetoed that trade where they got Ovechkin and and Marshawn at fifty percent. We don't we, we don't have time to get into that. So anyways, but uh, eventually my team's getting older and older because I was clearly going for the win. So soon I'm going to have to go into rebuild mode and like really learn what it's like. All these guys that we're going to talk about on this episode, I don't have any of them on my dynasty team. But of course, the fun thing about this show is maybe you're going to be talking about some players that people should even be looking at in one year leagues because last year guys like obviously our Calder winner Moritz Sider or Lucas Raymond or like Zegris, like some of these guys ended up being like real impact players in fantasy right from year one. So that's why we have you here today. And uh, why don't you tell us about, uh, I don't know, how should we start? I have so much I want to talk to you about. But yeah, but maybe you could start by just telling us your your general plan of like, uh, you know, the, set the table for what we're going to be doing in this episode, how you've organized it. Yeah, I will do that. And maybe do you want to look back at last year real quick? Because I think that is probably useful as well, because we did, we did, uh, I didn't pick the winner last year, although the previous year I nailed it with Kaprizov. But last year I had Zegras and he finished second. So that was pretty good. I did talk up more at Cider last year. And we did talk about how you should probably take him in round 10 through 15 because he was going to be good right off the bat. And I underestimated how good he was. He was very good. He was like fifth ranked defenseman in a lot of categories. So. Yeah, that was pretty good. Of course, there were a lot of guys that kind of came out of nowhere that I didn't think would make the team and, and made big impacts. But most of the guys that I talked about, you know, were on the ballot. So that was good. But this year, what we're going to do is we're going to go through the the odds sort of like we usually do. And so we have um, odds from a sports betting dime and, and we're going to kind of look at the favorites and where I have them ranked and we'll kind of walk through. And then there's some guys that are unranked that we'll talk about. And of course, we'll also be relating this to how valuable these guys might be in a redraft league. And of course we can touch on their dynasty value and anything like that. Yeah. Sounds like a great plan. It's always fun to go through and see like who the odds makers are totally sleeping on. And not that this is like a betting podcast or anything, but it's always fun to kind of go through who they think, who Vegas thinks are the the clear favorites versus the fantasy hockey life expert here. Uh, last year, I remember thinking that actually it was likely going to be Cole Caulfield winning the Calder just because like to me it was so just like okay he's already good like clearly gonna slot in on line one power play one like I feel like that's just such an advantage for a rookie to just right away be on their team's top line uh I obviously wasn't able to foresee that he'd get sent to the minors for a chunk of the season and Ducharme would uh I don't know he just they wouldn't click together but I feel like if Caulfield had played the full season like he did in that second half he definitely would have had a very strong chance to win this thing and yeah Cider 
was I guess no one expected that he'd jump right to power play one. Like we all thought he'd play big minutes and like, you know, be good for peripherals. But the fact that he got on the power play and was able to get all those points, that was something that uh, a lot of people didn't expect. And now this year we've got a new uh, Detroit rookie defenseman that I'll be curious to get your take on and see if like that power play one spot for Cider is one that he's going to hold for a long time or if it's maybe in jeopardy. Uh, maybe another, I don't know, let me mention a couple things really quickly, just off the bat. First of all, Keeping Carlson, proudly presented by DauberHockey.com. I believe the Fantasy Hockey Life podcast is also presented by Dauber Hockey. So uh, mm-hmm. We're, mm-hmm. we're just two Dauber bros here. And yeah, so check it out for your, if you haven't done your draft yet, you got to get that guide. They've got the projections. They got a whole write-up. We did an interview with uh, Ian Gooding a couple weeks ago about the Dauber guide, and it was really good. So also check out that episode that, uh, from Keeping Carlson. And yeah, get that guide at DauberHockey.com. Uh, also, Victor, uh, I believe that you have started your draft for your Cuckupful division, right? Or Keeping Carlson all the Patron Fantasy League. Mm-hmm. Victor's in it. I see you're in Tier 4 Smaland. How, how many picks have you made so far? Just one. Kucherov fell to me at eight. I was pretty happy oh, wow. about that. Not going to argue. Yeah, I know that there's injury history, but can't argue with that points per game. Yeah, I, I was in Tier 2 last year, and I, I had just a rough time with poor decisions and and bad luck but uh yeah i'm excited to kind of crawl claw my way back up to the to the top as far as i can go yeah well i mean you're a really smart player and last year was so hard with all the injuries and like covid postponements but a lot of people like that are smart players just got dealt a, a raw hand and so yeah the fact that you got kucherov at eight i think is a sign that you're gonna have a pretty good team because that's obviously really nice i think that i would have expected kucherov to go closer to like six or or seven. Like, I guess, yeah, the big debate to me is like, I feel like you go Makar at five, and then it's either like Kaprizov or Kucherov at six and seven. So I guess there must be some other player that I'm not thinking about that must have. Yeah. Who, who else went there before? Ovi. Ovi went eight. Ovi went seven. Yeah, that was the that was the hiccup. You're you're totally right. Makar went fifth. Kaprizov six, which I had I haven't ranked third. Um, Kaprizov. Oh wow. So yeah, I, but yeah, mostly it kind of fell as you would as you would think uh, no goalies have gone yet and i'm tempted but i'm probably won't do it <laughs> well yeah so there are a lot of goals you could get later uh we had a lot of fun goalie chat with dom about like yeah look at your matt murray's and your uh, georgiev's if you want to try to wait and get a starting goalie later that could potentially be good but obviously more risk the longer you wait uh but okay i guess we are not gonna talk about goalies we can't talk about all these players who've already played a year because we've got all this uh calder talk to get to but i, I did bring up the couple so i'll just say for people listening if you're already playing in the couple and you're registered in a league then like continue good luck in your draft please uh, do your best to keep these uh, slow drafts going you know if you know you're gonna be away for a while you could always uh, turn on auto draft or something fill up that queue uh if you haven't gotten into a couple league you could still sign up uh become a patron of keeping carlson and then you could get in the wait list and kevin our intrepid couple coordinator is working hard to try to fill more divisions if we have uh, enough people in the wait list so you can just check all that out at keepingcarlson.com slash patron but okay with that that's it okay victor it's all you. This is like one of those sweet episodes for me where I didn't have to do much prep at all, except for just kind of know about hockey and then set up the live stream and the recording here. And now I get to sit back and uh, people hopefully will enjoy just hearing me react to you telling me about the various players. So, so what are we starting with? Just the, the top odds guys, according to Sporting Dime? Yep. All right, let's do it. So we have a plus 400. We got two guys. So we'll start with those two. Owen Power, Mason McTavish. So those are by far the odds most likely players. So we'll start first with Owen Power, you know, who was Matty Benier's teammate at Michigan, you know, first overall pick 2021. He was just under a point per game there in his sophomore season. He was also really good in the Olympics, did not look out of place, got called up at the end of the year and had three points in eight games for the Sabres. A lot of people who watched them watch those games closely agreed that he did not look out of place. He looked like he was ready He's a big mobile defender with a high offensive IQ. And I'm going to mention this a couple of times, but we have our own scouts over at Fantasy Hockey Life. So I'm going to not read their whole scouting report because we have videos and full reports for all these guys there, but just a couple of clips or, you know, highlights. One of our scouts there had just modest concerns about his compete level and attention to defensive effort at times, but that's pretty common for a young player. So not really any huge concerns with Owen Power. He's definitely... NHL ready. The only thing I would say, Elon, which I'm sure you could agree with, is that Rasmus Dahlin is there and he's very good and probably will get all the opportunity. So I'm just not sure, A, how many goals Buffalo is going to score, how good the offense is going to be, and how good the opportunity is going to be for Owen Power. He still looks like a star in the making and his his 
Corsi against and expected goals and all that in his limited sample size at the end of the season in Buffalo was all really good. In fact, if you look at expected goals differential, he was the best defenseman on a per 60 basis in his limited sample size on Buffalo already, which is like remarkable. Um, of course, guys like Dallin and Colin Miller and those guys had ha- harder matchups, but that's still pretty incredible for such a young defenseman. So power is second on my list. And just because of the slight lack of opportunity, as I said, but the, the skill is there. And it's also harder for a defenseman to win. Of course, we just saw a couple defensemen win recently, Makar and then last year, Cider. And, you know, Elon, there's only been two back-to-back defenseman winners. That was back in 62-63 and 63-64. Some guy named Ken Douglas and Jacques Leperrier. So I'm not sure that they're going to do that again, right? So that's a little bit of the concern. So, But at, at plus 400, I think you could make far worse bet so what do you think about him being second on my list and then those odds well yeah the thing is i think that like makar and cider what made them stand out is they got right to the top power play and were able to put up like 40 plus in makar's case like even like whatever 60 plus point season so i just want in terms of pace like i just wonder if even like it's kind of sounds like the way you're describing owen power is kind of how you were describing cider last year back when we thought he was going to be like a big minute eater maybe be good for peripherals maybe like play shorthanded help his team a lot but not necessarily have enough offense because he's not going to be on the top power play like cider just had to beat out Phil Hironic, you know, like, uh, so power has got a bigger obstacle with Rasmus Dahlin unless they go two defensemen on the power play. So I think that I agree with you that to me, he wouldn't be even second on my list because the way I would go about placing these bets, I want to think of like who has a good chance to like really break out. And, and I almost like obviously the player's talent takes a lot like matters a lot but also like the opportunity that their team is going to give them like uh you know Kaprizov when he won like he's well he earned it obviously getting on the top line top power play like being the star on the team and like Sider was the clear top defenseman on Detroit so yeah I just feel like Darlene is going to get in power's way but uh yeah in terms of fantasy are we thinking that power is kind of like what we were expecting from Sider last season in terms of like are you expecting like lots of hits lots of blocks decent number of shots and you know whatever maybe not 45 50 points but at least like 35 40 yeah so the nice thing is that you can i can look at what he did in college and kind of projects his his hit shots and blocks and so on on my prospect ranking spreadsheet i have everyone listed out in terms of their bash right block shots hits and he was excellent in his college so he should have very high bash can he translate that to the nhl of course is always hard to say and of course you can look at his prorated stats from his limited time in buffalo but i'm not sure that an eight game sample size is you know super accurate but yeah i do think his bash is going to be good i do think he's draftable in redraft leagues i don't I mean, I was pretty conservative saying around 10 through 15 for Cider last year. And honestly, I think that's where I would go this year. Cider, as you as you mentioned, he, he looking around that Detroit team, there weren't a whole lot of big obstacles to overcome. I think Power is probably already the second best defenseman on that Buffalo team, but I don't think he's anywhere near what Dolan is right now. So yeah, I don't think he's going to get the best opportunity, but I do really believe in him as the individual talent. That's why he's so high on my list. Um, And I do think he'll make a pretty strong case. It's just, yeah, the opportunity he's kind of blocked, you know, he's kind of blocked and maybe they go to defensemen. Um, That would be interesting. And that would certainly help him, but I do think he's, he's very draftable. I probably, I wouldn't want him as my first or second defenseman, but as a third or fourth defenseman on my, you know, say a cup full roster, I think you could do a lot worse than that. Yeah, for sure. I'm not leaving him undrafted when I get to the tier one auction draft in a couple of weeks. If I could get him for a buck at the end, I'll be super happy. I don't know how much I'll spend, but I definitely wouldn't want to have him just because of that, like high floor because of the peripherals. All right. So you said it's Owen Power and then Mason McTavish with the uh, also tied for the that plus 400 odds for people who care like plus 400 basically means four to one you know you bet 100 you win 400 okay so that, that, that's what those odds mean those are the the best odds or i guess the worst odds i guess depending on how you want to look at it for these two guys what do you think about mctavish coming off a really strong world juniors tournament people have been high on him already before that but I, I didn't expect him to have the highest odds of any forward i thought there was a couple other forwards that would have been higher yeah i would agree with that I have him a little bit lower. We'll get to that in a second. But yeah, he was a third round pick back from 2021. Remember, he came off that junior season where there was no OHL. And so he didn't get to play, but he was amazing at the U18s that year in his draft season. 
And he was pretty great this year. He played a lot of hockey. I think if you just track who played the most hockey in this last this last year, it was probably Mason McTavish because he started with the Ducks. Then he got some games with the goals. He went back to Peterborough and then was traded to Hamilton, helped them win the OHL championship, took a break in the middle to go to the Olympic Games. Then after winning the OHL championship, losing in the Memorial Cup, unfortunately, he went to the U-20 World Junior Championship that was in August this year and was amazing. I mean, everyone's going to remember that save on the goal line at the U-20. And if for some reason you haven't seen that, you have to go look on Twitter. It was remarkable. Batted out of midair. The Finns thought they won and he saved the game and then helped uh, help them win in overtime. And even though he did that, he was also the tournament leading scorer and MVP. So yeah, he had an incredible year. The problem is that the top six in Anaheim is a bit crowded. You know, they got pretty decent centers now. They just got Ryan Strom's Egress is there. Adam Henrique is, you know, still an NHL player. Lundestrom has come a long way. I don't know that he can fit at center right now, but maybe if he moves to the wing, he can get some top six times. A, a big concern of mine with Mason McTavish is that he's always been bigger and stronger than everybody. I mean, he's 210 pounds, 6'1". He's been physically imposing on the smaller CHL players. But that isn't really going to happen in the NHL. You know, he's not going to physically overwhelm most of his opponents. He's probably still bigger than some of the guys. Unfortunately, because of his birth date, though, it's either NHL or junior, which, I mean, I guess he could win the Memorial Cup, but there's really nothing else to prove in the CHL for him. So I think he's going to be in the NHL the whole season. I'm just not sold on his ability and his opportunity to translate that. Everyone else in my top 10 had significantly tougher and physical competition, either professional in the NCAA. So that's part of why I moved Mason McTavish down to 10. And in his limited sample size with the Ducks, he actually was not very good in terms of his Corsi and expected goals. So I'm just not sure that he's a good bet at plus 400. Like you said, 100 to win 400. I'm not sure that that is super likely. So I bumped him down to 10th, uh, but I do really believe in him as a strong prospect. I just think he might need an, you know, another year and a little bit more opportunity to really get all the way there. Yeah, he's only 19 years old. And like you said, he's supposed to be a center and he's behind Zegris and Reinstrom now. So it just doesn't see... And Anaheim also doesn't need to even go for it. Like, why not just send him down? Maybe not... Well, I guess you're saying like you think he's going to play. I could see them trying to tank, but not... Bur- I don't know. I always, I'm curious why a team that knows they're not going to win, why burn a year of the ELC? But I guess it's an entertainment product and they're trying to sell tickets and McTavish is an exciting guy that people are into. So maybe he'll play. But yeah, 19-year-old, that doesn't look like he's going to at least start the year as a top six guy unless he moves to the wing like you said just doesn't seem like a great bet compared to some guys we're going to get to pretty soon so yep uh i'm with you there that he's not going to be someone that i'm going to be betting on someone i might bet on is the next odds is plus 550 maddie beneers he was the second overall pick behind power in 2021 he was awesome at michigan this year 43 points and 37 games as a sophomore he also played for the u.s at the olympics was frankly one of their better players you know that weird mixture of olympics with nhl and other like international players he played 10 games for the kraken and was nearly a point per game i heard you talking with with dom about this uh, the other day and and how the model spit out a number that was pretty high you know and they and it, it seems reasonable you know he's got all that opportunity i don't know that he's going to be a point per game all season you might have to regress that a little bit but what he did in those 10 games did not look terribly unsustainable and he's going to have tons of ice time. He might already be the best center on the Kraken, which is both an indictment of the centers on that team and a, a gold star for his ability. You know, I wanted to just mention a little bit from our FHL scout, Jeremy on Beniers, just talking about how he's such a consistent 200 foot player. He's so good at closing down space and supporting teammates. He's got a really good shot and he's so fast and really good at, at, defensively you know two-way his skating ability is great and and his shot is is effective as i mentioned and you know looking at hockey prospecting he looks like a few really good stars eric stahl is someone that that kind of stands out as also kind of a strong two-way player um so i mean i just think veneers is ready to step into the nhl and not struggle too much the opportunity is there for him to be even the 1c already i know that's tough and it might take him a little bit of time but i could really see him at least sticking in the top six and having really good players. I mean, they got Burakovsky, Bjorkstrand, Gordon Tanev were injured a lot of last year, and McCann is still there, obviously, Eberly and Swartz. They got a pretty solid, you know, top nine. So I think we'll have good players to play with, and I can't imagine he won't be on the top power play. So 
I know it's uh it's pretty, you know, the the odds are not super long, but at 550, I think that's pretty good value. I, he's number one on my list. So I really like Matty Beniers here. I think if you wanted to take one of the one of the higher likely odd players and place a bet on it, he's probably a decent one. Yeah, I totally agree. He's the one I was referring to at the top. I mean, the fact that he's going into the year, like you said, expected to be the top center on this team that's now looking improved. And by the way, like the Kraken weren't even that bad last year. Like I've seen some stats, you know, put out that like they would have actually been like a potentially contending team if they had just gotten league average goaltending their goaltending just sunk them but uh yeah like now if they you know obviously they could, they have the same goalie so we'll see what, what happens there but hopefully that doesn't affect Beniers too much but yeah they've just like improved like you said Gord was injured a lot now he's there there he's potentially could play with like Schwartz Eberly, like McCann Burkowski Bjorkstrand like, there's no shortage of good wingers for him to play with and he already showed that he can come up into the NHL. It was obviously the end of the season. Who knows like how hard the teams they you know he was playing against were were trying. I'd have to go back and look at the game log there. But I feel like you know without any other information, we're just looking at a guy who has a super high draft pedigree. He was taken you know second overall. He's got a super great track record in terms of his like you know in the games he played in the NHL. He's got a super great deployment projection being at the top of the lineup. So like how why not better him? I don't get why he's not the top pick according to the odds makers. To me, it's like how I felt about Cole Caulfield last year, which didn't work out. Uh, but I don't think it'll happen again like i think that was pretty unlikely that he was going to get sent to the minors and i think that uh veneers also probably won't get sent to the minors uh, because yeah the one place where they're maybe not that deep they look like they have really good wingers but they don't really have such amazing centers so that's why veneers could just climb to the top it's not like alex wenberg is going to take over i guess yanny gourd could play center but he's not really like a top line center you know he's more of like a guy you want to have in your middle six so yeah to me it's like the everything's lining up to be like this is the clear pick so yeah, I'm with you. But let's see uh, who else. I'll be curious to hear who you think are like the... You said you have Owen Power at number what? Number two? two. Yeah. Yeah, okay. no, I, I totally... And there are some big differences with Caulfield and Beneers, obviously not just the fact that Beneers is much taller and bigger and stronger, but his two-way game is already at least NHL average, if not better. And so that's something you certainly couldn't say about Caulfield. So you, you don't look at Beniers and think, oh, yeah, this is a guy that can't hang it two-way in the NHL. No, he already can. You know, So that's not really going to be an issue. The biggest concern for me has always been with Beniers is he's so good that he ends up becoming like a Yanni Gord because he's so good two-way that they put him in more of a defensive role and decrease offensive zone starts and don't put him on the power play. I don't think that's going to happen because I think he has more offensive upside than a guy like Gord. But that is always the worry. So it is, it is possible, but yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any way Beniers doesn't play the whole season with the crack. And, and, and like you mentioned, they need to sell tickets. They need to get excitement for their fans. And you're right. It was pretty much almost all Grubauer last year, why they were so bad. So if they could be just a little bit closer to average, they have a strong defense. They're going to have more depth down the middle. I think they're, you know, a bubble playoff team. And I think Beniers can help them, you know, get over that hump. So yeah, he's definitely a strong bet. So yeah, Beniers one O power two for me and and McTavish ten. Okay, well we'll see uh, who slots in in the rest of your top five. Uh, next up in terms of these odds over at this, I just googled like Calder odds, and I'm just looking at what's the first one that came up. Yeah, it is this like sporting sports betting time. I've never been to the site before. Anyways, this is an advertisement for sports betting time. But uh, next up, I'm seeing here uh, Cole Perfetti and Kent Johnson. Both at plus twelve hundred. I feel. Did we talk about Cole Perfetti last year? I feel like this is a name we that did. we've been talking about in a while. We did, yeah. And unfortunately, he didn't really have much of an opportunity. We'll get to him, but let's go to let's go Kent Johnson next because Mister Golden Goal himself was the hero for the Canada's gold medal game. After McTavish saved that puck on the goal line, Kent Johnson put it away, gave them the gold. He also uh, he represented Canada there at the at the U20s. He also represented him at the Olympics and at the World Championships. He was he was just all Canada all year, uh, along with being at Michigan. Uh, at the very beginning of the season, we saw nine games from him, and he really wasn't NHL ready then. But he went back to Michigan, thirty-seven points in thirty-two games as a sophomore. That Michigan team was just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a magician with the puck, Ken Johnson, and he was. In his time, I mentioned he wasn't quite an intro ready, but he was pretty close to average, which hard to argue for such a young guy to, you know, being average is pretty decent. One of the things I like the most about Johnson is his he's probably better on the wing where he can focus on that creativity. 
our FHL scout Yarno had a couple of really good things to say about him. His elite vision and puck handling skills make him very dangerous offensively. And he's able to make deeks and find teammates with accurate passes. He's probably not going to be the first guy in the corner. So he really needs someone to get in there and dig out pucks. But Columbus has a few guys that are really good at that. And and Ken, what Ken Johnson can do is is score with his good shot or make a, a, a seam pass or a saucer pass to an open player. Defensively, he's not bad. He gives good effort. He's just not, that's not really his strength. Not like McCavish, who's going to be a strong two-way player. And then you look at the centers that they have, Jenner, Roslovic, Silliger, Corrali. They're not the most inspiring group, but they can be pretty effective if they have strong wingers, which they do. The main issue for Johnson, I see, is that he's AHL eligible and he might need some time there to translate his game to the pro level. But at plus 1,200, I think that's pretty good value for Kent Johnson, especially as a guy who I don't think has to do the heavy lifting to drive the offense. He can rely on his centers and some other people to do that. Uh, so I have him six on my list. I think that uh, I think that there are much worse bets than Kent Johnson. Yeah. So I'm wondering now, what if the bet was just is someone from the 2021 draft going to win the Calder? Because we've talked already about four of them, right? Power, Veneers, McTavish, and Kent Johnson. We're just skipping Luke Hughes, who I guess is the idea that Luke Hughes isn't going to be on the Devils this year. He's going going back to Michigan. Man, I wonder if he feels left out because also we, then we've got uh, Edvinson, Eklund, I guess both also are expected to play in the NHL. So uh, I guess Luke Hughes, he'll have his time one day. But yeah, if, if you were to bet, let's say it was like 50-50 odds, you could either take anyone or someone who was drafted in 2021. What do you think is, uh, which which one would you take? I guess it sounds well, like you would take the 2021 based on like your one, two, but you could have the whole rest of yeah. the world. You could have uh, <laughs> the next, you know, Michael Bunting potentially. Well, just looking at my top 10, most of the top five are 2021 guys. And then the rest of the top 10, there's a lot of 2020 guys. So I think that I'd probably have to take the 2021 if I, if you gave yeah. me that choice. It'll be fun to look back and see how it's Because I remember at the time, people were like a little bit like, oh, this draft, like we don't even know. It was a COVID season, a little weird. And now, uh, I don't know, we're excited about these guys now. I guess we have to actually see how they do. Uh, but okay, as far as Kent Johnson goes, yeah, I'll, I hear great things. I feel like Columbus is a fun team this year. All of a sudden, like mm-hmm. if they have this rookie Kent Johnson that people are stoked about, they've got Goudreau coming in. We've got Patrick Laine still. You know, uh, all of a sudden, like this is Cole Sillinger, who also drafted in this draft. Maybe he'll take a step up. Uh, you know, we're Ransky. I'm excited to see what Merzlikens can do. I know that like people aren't expecting too too much from the Blue Jackets this year, and maybe that that defense of theirs like behind Wierenski isn't looking that strong, and that might hold them back. But I think it's a fun team. I think I I've been trying to decide which hat I should get for today. I decided to wear my Sharks hat to join you as a fellow Sharks fan. I'm surprised you haven't picked a Shark yet to go in the top two, though. I guess you, that we're definitely going to get to a couple. Uh, but yeah, of all the teams in terms of, I like to pick a hat. Last year I picked the Panthers, you know, before the season, just a team that I'm excited to see what they're going to do with some new acquisitions. And now this year, I don't know. I'm kind of excited to see what Columbus will do and we'll see if Kent Johnson but again like like we said about um McTavish like I just don't know if he's fitting into the top six like he's a winger right and uh he's not bumping Gaudreau <laughs> so I don't know maybe he's bumping like a Gustav Nyquist but he's a pretty solid NHL player at this point so yeah I don't think he'd be my bet but yeah like you said we're getting a plus 1200 so now we're getting a pretty good return if you want to take a swing uh who do you like better between Kent Johnson and Cole Perfetti who has the same odds I like well, I like Ken Johnson. I have him ranked at sixth and Perfetti is eighth. And part of that is just because, and we can talk about Perfetti now, he's uh, he's a center. So I mentioned the heavy lifting. You have to do a little bit more work two-way to be a good center in the NHL. And and Perfetti, so he was 10th overall from 2020. So now we're getting into some of those 2020 guys. And But he really only went late because of his size. He's 5'11". He hasn't grown. He's still 5'11", but he's so smart. He already has 49 AHL games and 18 NHL games since his draft. So he's, you know, had some pretty good pro experience. His Fenwick in the NHL was 60% Elon driving really good play. And that's really good to see. He's already, when you look at his uh, Rampum chart from his NHL time, which is 231 minutes. So not nothing, but you know, not a huge sample size. He's already better than 85% of current NHLers in terms of expected goals against and Corsi against. That's pretty remarkable for such a young player. With all the drama in Winnipeg, you know, I don't know. Maybe there's a pretty good opportunity for Perfetti in the top six. It seems like things are kind of shuffling, moving around there. Maybe they're looking for a new voice. He's definitely the kind of guy that I think will wear a letter for that team at some point. I don't know that he's ready right now for that, but he certainly can. Looking at hockey prospecting, it's really funny. His chart looks 
almost exactly like Joe Thornton's, who obviously was a star producer in the league, also was in the AHL, turned pro pretty early. Um, I don't think anyone's going to confuse Cole Perfetti or, or call him Jumbo Cole Perfetti anytime soon, but uh, I think he sees the ice with the same level of ease. He creates seams, creates passes, escapes the soft areas. There's some real similarities with the way that that Thornton plays. Just the size is, of course, tr- you know, very different. But I love Cole Perfetti. I think that he's he's ready to stick full time in the NHL. He already showed at the end of last season that he's ready for this opportunity. Will he be the three C or the two C or move move someone to the wing like PLD? We've seen move to the wing. I think Perfetti might already be close to better pivot than than PLD. So if he can stick in the top six, I think he's a tremendous bet. Uh, I have him eighth on my list at plus twelve hundred. I think that's a very reasonable bet for Cole Perfetti. Yeah, he also looks like someone that, like you said, like there's a really good chance. Like when you look at this Winnipeg depth chart, I'm I'm realizing now, like once you get past their top five forwards, uh, you know, you, it re- there's a big drop off, right? So like you you know you've got Connor, Shifley, Wheeler, like who knows how many of these guys will still be on the team a couple months from now? Because like you said, there's been some drama, you know. So Connor, Shifley, Wheeler, Ehlers, and Dubois, those are like the clear best five forwards on the team. They're going to get drafted in all fantasy leagues. Who's next? There's Cole Perfetti, who can round out that top six, like you said. And then who are we even looking at on this team? Like, don't forget, this is a team that after Andrew Kopp got moved last year, we were talking on the podcast about like Evgeny Svechnikov playing with a Kyle Connor or whoever it was. Like he, you know, not that he was able to do anything with it. And hopefully, Cole Perfetti can do better than Svechnikov. But like, there's nobody. Like what? Mason Appleton, Adam Lowry, Morgan Barron. So I just can't imagine why, unless Cole Perfetti really just blows it hard, like he should be able to crack that top six. And then, yeah, one injury, and all of a sudden we're looking at why not get him on the top power play? Or if, you know, Dubois gets traded because he's asked for it or Shifley gets traded, yeah. So there's, you know, kind of sad for Jets fans (laughs) that this team is already so shallow and their star players want to leave. Looks like a rebuild is probably going to be coming. But yeah, great opportunity for Perfetti. So yeah. I don't know. I'd probably bet on him higher than Kent Johnson. Maybe, again, this is just me going by the opportunity and more of the player. But uh, it just seems like there's such a good chance for him to play with good guys and potentially even get power play. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I mean, I think Kent Johnson's pure offensive upside is higher. But yeah, you're right. It, but it, I think, as you said, it depends on a few things happening in Winnipeg, right? If the, if the things break right, then certainly Perfetti has a huge opportunity. But, you know, a lot of NHL coaches and and Bonus has been a guy that has shown he likes to lean on like a few guys and, you know, whether Perfetti will be one of those, we don't know. Um, but it could certainly break perfectly for him. And, and yeah, maybe they put him on the wing. I know Daily Faceoff has him like on the wing with PLD. And, you know, who plays wing and who plays center sometimes is not always clear. Kind of depends on who takes the faceoff. And, but I think having a strong play driving winger with uh with connor and dubois would be really nice so you know yeah certainly he could fit in there i'm not sure he makes it on the top power play but there's there's a lot of opportunity there i just worry a little bit about the heavy lifting that that he might have to do as opposed to kent johnson who could be more of a passenger and and still be highly productive yeah but then i guess if we're trying to predict the calder winner and not just like fantasy value it's like don't the calder voters like care about someone who had to do some heavy lifting like maybe they won't give as much weight to like you know like michael bunting i guess he was third in votes I don't know. To me, I just would have been like, clearly he was playing with Matthews and Marner and maybe like not to say anything bad about him. Like he obviously like really relished the role and played really well. But I think a lot of players would have done maybe not as well, but like similarly well as Bunting did in that spot. If you get to play all season with those two superstars. Uh, So we'll have to see if like, you know, Kent Johnson's going to have to probably you know, do something beyond just get points. But I guess uh, it'll be it'll be fun to see. Last year, they just had to give it to Cider, who didn't get as many points or wasn't as flashy as like a Trevor Zegers, but was clearly like playing big minutes in like all situations. It just was really helping his team. So yeah, I guess we'll have to see what the voters decide. Uh, but okay, I guess now that's it for the 1200s. And now we go all, we've got four players at plus 1600. Then we've got a whole bunch at plus 20 or 2000. I was about to say 2000, like an idiot. Uh, so before we get into all those, let's just take a quick break. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. All right, we are back with Victor Nuno from the Fantasy Hockey Life podcast to talk about some guys who have already now pretty high odds to win the Calder. And now I'm saying high in terms of high numbers. But like, I still think I have decent chances. At least a couple of these plus 1,600 guys I'm pretty interested in. Very curious to get your take on uh, Rossi, Sanderson, Jack Quinn, and our Sharks boy, William Eklund. So where do you want to start with these 1,600 guys? 
Let's start with Marco Rossi, the 2020 ninth overall pick. He fell to ninth because he's 5'9", and he's still 5'9", but that hasn't really stopped him from being successful professionally. 53 points in 63 AHL games. He drove play exceptionally well, 56% Corsi 4 while playing for the Iowa Wild. And remember, he missed almost the entire 2020-21 season because he had serious cardiac complications from COVID. So that was rough for him. He looks still like an absolute star in the hockey prospecting model. He still has a 75% chance of being a star. So I think some people have kind of soured a little bit on Rossi because maybe he's taken a little bit longer and, you know, he had a good, but not like maybe amazing AHL season. We'll talk about some of the guys that had ridiculously good AHL seasons. And so maybe that's part of it. But the one thing about Rossi and the wild is they don't really need Rossi to step into this opportunity right now. So that's part of the reason he's a little bit lower for me, but he might force the issue in camp. I I certainly could see him. And I've heard a lot of reputable people thinking he's going to be the two or even one C in Minnesota by the end of the year. I think that would be really great. I'm not sure that he gets all the way there. Um, Wanted to just highlight a couple of things that our FHL scout Jeremy said about Rossi. He says he's very, NHL ready, no glaring holes in his game, strong two-way player, high IQ, not any one flashy game-breaking skill, but he's uh, good positionally and his play away from the puck is also elite. He excels at pushing the pace and his shooting, passing, and puck handling are all should be above NHL average. He's also good defensively, um, so that should help as well and really should be on the power play, ideally along someone like Kaprizov. So you just see that potential and it and it's pretty tantalizing. The upside for Rossi is huge, especially with the right talent around him. He's someone that can make all those players better. But the reason I have him at seventh and not a little bit higher is because Minnesota is already a pretty deep team. And even though their centers aren't the strongest, you know, um I, I don't know that he pushes his way all the way to the top. I think he can, but I think if we're being realistic, he needs more NHL games to kind of earn that. And his very brief sample size that he's had so far, he didn't really take that opportunity. I only mean, had a couple of games. He didn't really have a whole lot of time on ice. So he might spend some more time in the AHL and, and earn a call up, and then he'll have to really take that opportunity. So I think this is a big swing play at, at plus 1600. You know, it's a reasonable bet if it's a, you know, if you if everything breaks right, Rossi could certainly be there. But I don't think he's the most likely to get a ton of opportunity. Yeah, well, for what it's worth, uh, there was an article just recently dropped by Michael Russo on The Athletic, and he talked to Coach Dean Eveson, and he was asking, like, really nicely for us fantasy players, like, specifically about what the lines will be. And Dean Eveson was pretty open about it, actually. So I can read you a quote here from this article. He said... So uh, I'll just like go from the middle here. So yeah, that's where we'll start. So we've got Hartsey's line, which I guess is Ryan Hartman. <laughs> is it, he, He's Hartsey and it's his line. It's not Kaprizov or Zook's line. It's Hartsey's line. So it's going to be uh, the Kaprizov, Hartman, Zook line. That's the, the plan to start the season. And then he said, and then we've got X line, Joel Erickson Eck, who he was talking about putting Tyson Jost and Marcus Foligno there. And then he said, now we've got to find another line, right? And we've got lots of players of competition for that. You got Rossi, Boldy, and Gaudreau, and Sam Steele, Connor Dewar, and Brandon Duhame. And like, when I'm reading that I'm like kind of thinking like come on you're not thinking of Sam Steele and Connor Dewar and Brandon Duhame over uh Rossi Boldy and Gaudreau right like last year it was Fiala Gaudreau and Matt Boldy at the end of the season and so it seems like if Marco Rossi could play center they can move maybe Freddie Gaudreau to wing I don't know I feel like there's a decent chance. All I'm saying is, obviously, that line isn't as good when you don't have Kevin Fiala, but I know we're excited about Matt Boldy, and people have been excited for a while, but both Rossi and Boldy, so if they could both play on a line together, I guess it depends. Maybe that line won't get as much ice time as they did last year when Fiala was there, and maybe now the Joel Eriksson-Eck line plays more and is like the clear line two, and this is the line three, at least to start. So obviously, anyways, I don't know how much this helps, but he's got uh, Rossi as someone that he listed as one of the people who could be on that third line or second line, depending on how you want to look at it. So there's potentially going to be an opportunity there. Uh, Ryan Hartman though, he can't be bumped, unfortunately, which is like (laughs) not something I expected to say, right? Like last year when we talked to Marco Rossi, we were talking about maybe he could center the top line with Kaprizov because who else is going to do it? I guess it's Ryan Hartman. So by the way, if you're drafting, don't leave Ryan Hart. I know a lot of people probably see his numbers, and I'll bet you Ryan Hartman's going to be one of those guys. If you have your draft room sorted by like last year's numbers, he's going to be like sitting at the top, and no one will be taking him because no one's going to believe that he's as good as his numbers were last year. But don't wait too long, right? But anyways, we're not talking about Ryan Hartman here, but he's someone I would definitely draft because he's like right now slotted to play with Caprizov. We know how well that went for him last year. So, anyways, Marco Rossi, 
Seems like an interesting guy. Sounds like you think he's got all the talent in the world. Seems like you definitely will have an opportunity to play with someone good like uh, Matt Boldy, at least. We'll see about the power play. And uh, yeah, a fun bet here, but probably not my favorite choice of the plus 1600ers. So who do you, where do you want to go next? Yeah, my, not my favorite either. And just just as a good look, talking about those centers again, I mean, X line with Felino and Greenway, however much ice time they get, they are not an offensive line. Right. So you can say there's a second or third line, but that's not the line that's going to get the best off- offensive opportunities. It's probably going to be right. Rossi's line if he's out there. And then depends on who he's with, probably Boldy and then someone else. You know, maybe it's Jost or Duhame, or maybe they drop. I can't imagine they'll drop Zuccarello or Caprice. I, I would have thought line. maybe it's just like Freddie Goudreau moves to. Yeah, the Goudreau, probably. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, um, let's go next to. Well, the next guy I have highest of this group is William Eklund. You mentioned him, and yeah, he is someone that uh, that that I'm pretty excited about. It has nothing to do with being a Sharks fan. By the way, I don't really consider myself as much a fan anymore because I talk about all the guys. But you know, I have grown <laughs> up a Sharks fan, so I guess we'll still go with that. But William Eklund's stock is down. It, it, you have to remember that he played for literally the worst team in the SHL last year, so bad that they're now in the Alsvenskan. And Jur Gardens, the team he's played for, scored 136 goals as a team. The top five teams were all closer to 200 in the SHL. So there was a huge scoring difference. There's not, there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity for him there. He had a, a pretty pedestrian 14 points in 29 games, but you know, half point per game in, you know, for literally the worst team could be, uh, you know, you could see that as, as sort of a positive. He will definitely be staying in North America. Last year, there were some rumors that maybe he'd stay in the AHL if he didn't make the Sharks, but this year, he's for sure said he's not going back. He's he's going to stay in North America. I don't think the Sharks are going to be a good team this year, but I think they do have good top six talent. It's really the depth where they lack, and you know, maybe goaltending. We could certainly talk about that, but we don't have to. The um, the guys like Meyer, Hurdle, Couture, though, and then we'll talk about Bordalo a little bit later. LeBanc, who people forget about, but he was injured pretty much all last year. Barabanov, they have some decent players to play with, and I think the lack of truly elite guys beyond Meyer is actually really good for Eklund because he could certainly rise to be one of the top, you know, ice time and opportunity getters in in San Jose because. I mean, I'm not sure that he's going to be better hurdle than Couture or anything, but the thing is that he's a different type of player than all of those guys. He's he's someone who's an extremely good playmaker. He doesn't, you know, shoot as much, although they have this prospect tournament going on right now, Yolan, and I was watching, some of the people might have seen the highlights. He scored a ridiculous top-down corner snipe from, I don't know, the top of the circle-ish. So he's been working on his shot, apparently, and that was always the concern is that he doesn't shoot that much. Well, he seems like he's shooting more, and he's an excellent playmaker. So you could just imagine if he clicks with Meyer in training camp, oh boy, you know, watch out, because he could be he could be very good. He's one of those guys that he works really well with high-level players. And you mentioned bunting earlier. A lot of people will say like, oh, you know, he plays with such good players, but it's actually really hard to play with good players. Sometimes you can't just put anyone next to those two and expect them not saying that you said this, but some people think that it's easy. Not really. Like you have to have the right skills. You have to be able to keep up with the pace. You have to know where guys are. Eklund has shown that he can play with anyone at any level. He's, he's already, you know, when he was with the shark showed that, um, I think he has the opportunity to make a run at the Calder. I know that the Sharks love him. He's such a slick playmaker, good setup man. His unique skill set should allow him a ton of opportunity and the best line mates in San Jose, the best San Jose can offer, which I know is not as good as some teams, but it's still pretty good. So I have him third of all the plus 1600 guys. He's the guy I would put my money on. I think he has the opportunity and the skill set and people are down on him. If you can acquire him in a dynasty league, I think that that might be worth it because people are, are really kind of sour since he had such a bad season, quote unquote, bad season in the SHL. Well, hey, I, maybe that was the case before that highlight real goal that you were talking about uh, yesterday. Maybe now people are back high on him again. Uh, but yeah, Eklund, I, I, to me, it's like another Perfetti situation just in that there's so many open spots in that top six. So yeah, he could potentially play with Meyer and Hurdle. You know, who's he competing with? Barabanov? Luke Kunin, I don't know. So yeah, the the opportunity is there. So if if he could earn it, then this could potentially be a really good season for him. So yeah, I think I agree with you. I might even if I was placing a bet right now, uh, and again, I'm not promoting betting, but just the thought experiment here. I would definitely bet on Eklund at plus sixteen hundred versus Owen Power at plus four hundred. 
Like, I feel like power, I've given reasons why I'm a little bit skeptical. And, but even if you have power a little bit ahead, not so much to be like four times, you know, the, the betting return. I'd rather just take the shot on Eklund, who there's definitely room for him on the top power play. Who's the Sharks' top power play for next year? Like, they have three guys. They've got Meyer, Hurdle, and, and Couture. Those are their three, like, you know, very good star, up to star players. And who's fourth? I guess LeBanc back in the day used to always be there. I don't know if that's still the case. I don't know why you're putting LeBanc there and not, uh, you know, William Eklund, or at least giving him a shot. I think it's got to be William Eklund. I mean, he was, I was making the argument last year, he was already the fourth or fifth best forward. Uh, and I think he's even better now. So, yeah, I definitely think it, it has to be him. And as I mentioned, just a unique player. He's the guy that, well, he kind of does what Hurdle does on the power play. Hurdle is kind of that half-wall playmaker, but I think Eklund is is already just about as good at that. What they really need is someone in the bumper, and that's the problem. You know, they've kind of put Meyer there, but he's, like, not really the, the best at that. I don't know. They might try someone like Nico Sturm or Evgeny Sveshnikov because they're just big dudes, and, you know, that spot doesn't necessarily have the the best chance of scoring and maybe they'll give Eklund like hurdle spot on power play two or something like that not sure but I mean he really should be up there he he should play with those the most talented forwards for sure yeah so the Sharks kind of like the Blue Jackets like a fun team maybe they won't like be an amazing team in terms of their total season record but I'm excited to see because we also haven't talked about Bordalo yet who's also a fun prospect on the team and uh yeah so Maybe they won't win a lot, but it'll be fun to see what uh, Eklund can do. And you know me, I always love to watch Eric Carlson and see what... I, uh, by the way, whenever I turn on a Sharks game, Carlson always looks great. Like, I I don't know what it is. Like, I guess like, he's had some struggles, and obviously when he's missing time, that's not great. Uh, but I don't know. Whenever I actually see him on the ice, it seems like he's, like, dominating, gets the puck, you know, controls the whole play. Maybe I'm biased. I don't know. Okay, so we still got two more uh, plus 1,600 guys here. Jack Quinn and then Jake Sanderson. Yeah, Jake Sanderson. He had a pretty awesome NCAA season for North Dakota, 26 points in 23 games. He had a hand injury that required surgery, so that was that limited him at the end of last year. But he should be good to go for Ottawa season opener. It seems pretty clear that he will be on the Sens opening day roster, a much improved roster, we should say, too. And it, it also seems clear, though, that he's not taking Thomas Shabbat's spot on the top power play. He's Thomas Shabbat is pretty underrated, I think. You know, he probably should be going a little bit higher in a lot of these drafts. Um, Eric Brandstrom though, also still exists. Uh, he got 45% of the power play last year. He's someone at one point I was really excited about, but he's really struggled in his two way game, but there's no reason to have Eric Brandstrom on your team if he's not doing something offensively. So he might continue to get that offensive deployment. And so I think that Sanderson's going to have to pass Brandstrom for that power play opportunity in order to get enough points to really have an impact on, on the Calder. And I'm just not sure that he does that, which is why I have him down at 15. Uh, I think Sanderson's going to help the team quite a bit, which is going to be good for Sens fans. I'm just not sure that he's going to get enough opportunity to score the points at plus 1600. You know, it's not the worst bet ever. I just don't think that, I think there's way better defensemen with better opportunity as we talked about on this list, even Um, he should make a pretty decent late round flyer in redraft leagues. So I think his bash could be very good and he, you know, probably will pass Branson for ice time for sure. I just don't know that he'll pass him for power play opportunities. So 15th for me, for Jake Sanderson, I think, you know, in terms of general fantasy redraft, and all that and long-term potential, you know, maybe he challenges Shabbat one day, but it's it's not going to be this year, I don't think. Yeah, I think like as a longtime Sens fan, it's hard for me not to be excited about the team that's improving this year. And I think an underrated part of the improvement is going to be having Sanderson just because their defense is so weak and they really need to bring someone in that could eat up some minutes and, and you know, like play a strong two-way game like you're saying. But yeah, it seems like it's going to be unlikely for him to win the Calder, like save for an injury to Shabbat, which, which has happened before, happened last year, right? So maybe then something could happen. But I don't think that he's someone that I would be betting on, yeah, for the reasons you've said. And then we've got Jack Quinn over on the Sabres, our second Sabre. Uh, he's someone who, like, when he was drafted, everyone was saying, wow, the Sabres really whiffed on that pick. They should have taken Marco Rossi. Now they both have the same Calder odds. So, so full circle. But who, who do you think has the better <laughs> chance to win between the two of them? Definitely Rossi. And I'll tell you why. Jack Quinn, yeah, he, I still am Team Rossi. I, I have my shirt hanging in the background that you can't see, but I'm Team Rossi all the way. Jack Quinn had 61 points in 45 games, 61 in 45 AHL games, monster production. He was the AHL rookie of the year. That makes probably makes you think he's a good, got a good shot at the Calder, but I would say hold your horses a little bit. Jack's game, Jack Quinn's game is very incomplete. He had a 47% Fenwick Corsi, 
they're both the same, 47%. And that's really hard to do when you're scoring 61 points in 45 games. You just drive and play terribly. Um, I don't know how he did that. He basically just cheated for offense all the time. I did watch a fair number of Rochester Americans games because I was just really interested. And basically my takeaway from that was that Jack Quinn isn't as good as JJ Paterka, which we will talk about later. Um, he part of it was a high shooting percentage. Part of it was that he just completely ignores defense. He gives little or incomplete effort. I just don't think that's going to fly in the NHL. You know, I'm not sure J- Jack Quinn is going to earn the ice time. If he does, he's going to score a lot of points because that's what he does. He's he is very good. I'm not saying he's not good at scoring points because he obviously is. He's got a good shot. He's good. Got good offensive instincts. He can do more than just shoot, but it's pretty much all in the offensive zone. His off puck play has to be at least NHL average for him to get these opportunities. And I just don't think he's even close, frankly, to being NHL average defensively and off puck. So you know, at plus 1600, I don't think you're throwing your money away or anything, but I think it's pretty close. Uh, he's not even in my top 10. I have Jack Quinn at 17th. I would, I would not touch him, frankly. But is he going to make the team? Do you think? Again, I think when, when the coach looks at his two way effort, I just think he's going to sure, you know, he's going to be very unhappy about that. And I think that that's not going to fly. So if he gets, if you can, completely isolate him, put him in just offensive opportunities, put him with a really good defensive two-way center. Do they have any of those? Um, I don't know. Like, it's going to be hard. You really have to isolate him and and protect him from, you know, the, the rigors of playing in the NHL against strong offensive, you know, opposition. I don't think that they can do that. I think he's going to be a liability out there. So unless you're just playing him like 10 to 12 minutes a night on the power play and in offensive situations he's going to be a liability for you out there. So I don't think he's going to play that much unless right. he can really come around, which I just really did not see, frankly. Yeah, and also the the Sabres are maybe a little bit underrated. And they've got some depth now. Like, you know, they've got that top line, Skinner, Thompson, Tuck, that looked good last year. And then, you know, they got like a, I don't know, Victor Olafson, Casey Middlestad, and like a Peyton Krebs or a Dylan Cousins. Like there are some guys that could easily block Jack Quinn from getting into the top six. So yeah, all right, you've heard it here. Don't bet on Quinn. That's it. So then, yeah, there's some guys here at plus uh, 2,000 that become very interesting. Actually, all four of them are guys that I'm very curious to get your takes on. Uh, We've got two picks from this most recent draft and Slavkovsky and Shane Wright. Uh, then we've also got Bordalo, who we brought up on the Sharks. And then a dark horse here, Logan Thompson for Vegas, who very likely could be their starting goalie all season because the other options there, you know, aren't that great. We're, we're looking at they just signed Aiden Hill from your former uh, Sharks. And I guess they've got an injured guy in Brossois who, who even knows if he'll come back. And when he does come back, he's not even that good. So these are some uh, very interesting picks. And I guess we, before we get to them, Victor is telling me that he's hungry and needs to have a snack because he's got a hockey game coming up. You know how it is when you've got a big game. you got to have your carbs, got to get loaded up. So why don't we just take this opportunity to take a break? We call this part one. We've already been talking for an hour. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And if you want to hear more about this caller talk, those four guys I just brought up, and then also some guys that Victor may think that we haven't even discussed yet that the odds makers must have like really far down that may turn into good bets we're going to get into a lot more players in part two of this episode so yeah just like make sure you're subscribed uh with apple podcast or spotify or whatever if you are then you already have part two sitting there waiting for you so we'll talk to you soon and uh i won't even read any credits or anything i'm not even gonna play any outro music i'm just gonna say see ya in part two thanks for listening bye